This is the Disability Visibility Podcast with your host, Alice Wong. Welcome to the Disability Visibility Podcast. Conversation on disability politics, culture, and media. I'm your host, Alice Wong. Today is July 26, 2020. And in the United States, it is the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, also known as the ADA. I'm much more comfortable asking questions but I'm going to share my personal story with you all on this occasion. Did this interview by my friend Rochelle Quan. The tables are turned. Rochelle is the community producer for the podcast Self Evident and the storytelling team lead at Think Chinatown, a community organization based in New York City, Chinatown. I first met Rochelle when she worked at StoryCorps. And we immediately bonded about Lunar New Year festivities and dumplings. You hear about my early years, the influence of the ADA on my life, my thoughts about the future of accessibility, and more. Are you ready? I'm not sure if I am, but away we go! So, I wanted to first hear a little bit about you, because I know that we met in quite a flurry of activity and dumplings, but I don't think that I've really had the chance to get to know you and kind of your history. Could you tell me what it was like growing up Asian American in the Midwest? So, my parents uh, got married in Hong Kong in the early 70s, and my dad had a job offer of all places in Indianapolis, Indiana. So he and my mom moved out there in 1972. Two years later, I was born. And I mean, it was a very unique kind of experience because uh, at least for me as a kid who was born disabled as well, you know, in almost every situation growing up, I was almost always the only Asian kid and pretty much always the only disabled kid. And it really made me, you know, very self-conscious at an early age because, you know, I clearly was not like any of the other kids. And, you know, I never do anything else but that. So, you know, as I got older, I really wanted to find community. I think a big part of my life has been all about finding and creating community. Thank you. 
One of the reasons I'm really excited to have this conversation with you is because this year is the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA. Yeah, I love how much you are younger than the ADA. <laughs> I know. I love that because this is so funny because I think. I don't know if we would call this an intergenerational conversation, but I guess it is, right? I yeah. think it is. Um, so it's really a delight to also talk to the, you know, just you about this. Um, so I was 16, a sophomore in high school with the ADA past. And, you know, to be totally honest, I don't really remember that much about it. I mean, I think. At that time in my life, I was not really all that connected with any sort of consciousness about having a disabled identity uh, other than, you know, my own kind of diagnosis, you know, knowing that I was disabled, but I never said the word disabled, you know, and I think that was just the time I grew up in, it's just that, you know, I struggled. I think I felt already, you know, just be a teenager, no matter what decade you're in, it's just, it's a lot. So, uh, you know, I dealt with a lot of being, you know, uncomfortable in my own skin. You know, I felt ashamed of myself. Like, I was embarrassed. I was like, just... You know, I really wished as a wheelchair user, I was just, I just built it in the background, but I never could, you know, I just, I just really wanted to be invisible sometimes because I felt so hyper visible, you know, th- I didn't have any role models. I, I did not have any adults in my life that also had disabilities that ever said like, hey, you know, I've been where you've been. Um, it's going to get better. And I don't think, and I do wonder now, like, gosh, like, I really wish I had that. And I, but I also wonder, like, if I had that, would I have accepted it? Because I was so in a place where I was just, like, uncomfortable. You know, I was, to be honest, like, to be around other disabled kids, like, sometimes I didn't want to hang out with them because I still wanted to just be like everybody else. Yeah. It sounds like you weren't connected with not only the disability community, but you weren't connected to the identity of being disabled. Um, before you came into that identity, was it, um, did you think of it as just like, this was something that I have to deal with on my own? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely started as, after the ADOs passed, I just, you know, being a little bit older as a teenager and reading and, you know, learning more, you know, I just realized, oh my gosh, like, you know, there are things going on in this world that's beyond my, my little world. And I think uh, one of the first things I read was in Time Magazine, there was an article about accessible transportation. It is right around the time that the ADA came out. And I remember I read that and I was just like, so floored by the idea of 
Yeah, it's difficult, but this is like, you know, you gotta imagine this, like, you know, uh, back then, I mean, it's just really rare, and, you know, I thought about, what would it be like to live in a community where I could leave my house and take a, a bus or a train by myself? I mean, at that point in time, you know, I'm, I lived in the suburbs, my parents drove me everywhere, you know, I did not have a driver's license, so I didn't go through the typical rites of passage that a lot of my, all my friends did, you know, I just felt very stymied and uh, reading about other places like Berkeley, California, which really was an epicenter for a disability rights and just accessibility in terms of California as a state, you know, that really also planted the seed that, like, hey, there are disabled people living right now in a world that's much better, in a world that's much more accessible, and that one day, maybe I can have that too. And that's you know, that kind of blew my mind that there was this, there was another way. You gotta imagine this, like, you know, uh, back then, I mean, it's just really rare. And, you know, I actually wrote a letter to the editor and it was published in Time Magazine. And I think that really was, you know, when I was still in high school, that might have been the first scene of you know, starting to, you know, that journey of identifying and also be kind of engaged with the world. It was part of the awakening, I think, as I started, got older, graduated from high school, and definitely when I went to college and really learned a lot more about disability studies and uh, you know, I kind of realized, you know, all the stuff that I did for myself is it, is it gonna help other people or is it gonna make a difference? So it's really about systemic change. And I think that was, that was a real switch for me as I became, you know, a college student and then went to grad school. I just really realized like, you know, I can fight so much to get something better for myself, for my, you know, for my accommodations as a student. But until we actually change policies, the next year, another student is going to have to do it all over again. And that got me angry. And that's what really drove me to think about, you know, how do we do this? How do we make a difference, and also how do we work with others, because it's not just about what I care about, but it's not just about what I need, but what all kinds of people need. And when, when I guess when the ADA started, did you imagine the ADA as that 
alternative world, that better world for the disabled community? You know, I think I think people have a lot of misconceptions about the ADA. I think there's a lot of expectations, but you know, it did not let's say solve everything. You know, things that are just magically become better overnight, especially the 1990 when it passed. I think it took a lot of years for after it passed. You know, for really for all of us to see the changes, right? Like curve cuts, elevators, you know, just some of the basic things that we take for granted today. All of those things had to still be fought for. Like there were cities that talked about, oh, you know, we can't afford these things. Or like, you know, why do we have to apply this law? Like there was always a lot of resistance towards complying with this thought. Even today, there's this, this struggle is still, you know, really real. And, uh, but I will say that what the ADA did was that it gave us a law that we could call our own. You know, like it was the law that was for us. It, it was the law that enshrined, you know, visual protections, like we were a protected class. And this is kind of the the, the latest iteration. There was other, there were other laws before that, but the ADA really was the one we could use as a tool. And I think it's a tool. It's just, it's not, it's just the beginning of creating change. And you know, the law can only really do so much. I think sometimes we put too much stock and weight into laws because it's really about the spirit behind the law. Like, what does it really mean when we say that you belong in the public like everybody else? And how do we get our culture to that place where Everybody believes that. And I don't think we're, you know, it's sad to say, but it's very real that, you know, 30 years later, uh, we're not at that place yet. We're very close to it. You know, change does not happen easily. And there's a lot of people who are afraid of change. There's a lot of people that don't see the value of inclusion especially with disabled people who've been, had a history of being segregated and institutionalized. And I, I want to expand on that specifically because, actually, let me back up. So you said that the ADA is really, like when it came about, it was finally something that was for you all and like meant for you all. How do you also see, because like with the ADA being a law, it's not something that only impacts the disability community. You know, that's something that um, everybody not only has to, um, has to become more aware of and like has to implement into their own lives, but it's something that actually, um, it's not something that we have to implement into our own lives only for 
the disability community because these regulations are meant for everyone. Yeah, I really hope that people, uh, anybody who listens to this oral history thinks about that the ADA, while it is, I think, for the disability community, really important. It does benefit every single person. And I think, uh, you know, one of the ways it talks about that is that you know, number one, discrimination is not okay. You know, that's one of the basic things. And I think number two, you know, this idea that accessibility, you know, if we build it into our infrastructure, if we build it access as a value and a practice that all of us practice, you know, this makes the world better for everybody. It makes the world more accessible, it makes the world more flexible for everyone. And everyone benefits. And I think uh, you and I are talking in May 2020. We are right in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. And I think one thing we've seen uh, during this pandemic, as so many people have been uh, staying at home, is the benefits of accessibility. You know, so many people now realize, oh, you know, disabled people have been organizing online already, or, uh, you know, there are some people who have been, you know, learning and working from home already, way before this. And now all these other people who never had to do that realize there's one of them to socialize and to celebrate each other. And I feel like that's a lesson that so many people should take, uh, not only during this pandemic, but really about what disabled people already do every day, just to adapt into a world that still was never really built for them. That is one thing that I have been thinking about a lot recently is this, as we're in the middle of a pandemic and everybody is um, at home, folks are tapping into these these methods and organizing strategies that the disability community has been using forever, you know, Mm -hmm. and have, have built their communities from and like, how are are people giving credit to the disability community? Yeah, real talk. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it is ironic and a little bit bittersweet that, you know, there were conferences that, you know, years ago that I couldn't attend because I would need to be, you know, doing it through a video conference. But my goodness, look how quickly so many conferences are now virtual. Yeah. You know, so many people, disabled people, would get turned down for jobs when they asked to work remotely. And now everybody, almost everybody, are working remotely. And I think that's that's a very painful sticky point because the uh, there's still major disparities in terms of the employment rate and just... You know, the fact that so many disabled people have been rejected and turned down and 
these are the requests to be dismissed because even though there is not a law, there's no teeth behind it. So every law is imperfect, right? So, you know, one thing about the ADA is that there's really no way to enforce it. There's no, like, there's no ADA police mm -hmm. to, you know, check on businesses, right? So basically, uh, for a large part, when disabled people make requests, and if they're thought of as reasonable requests, even when they're reasonable, many times an employer still treats it like a burden. And I think that still is a reason why so many people are afraid to even ask for them. You know, I think that's why so many people are in the workforce. And there's a lot of reasons why uh, people don't even disclose that they have a disability in the workplace because they don't want to be seen as different. And I think that's what's really sad that we just don't really think about why we had to do this, you know, like, I don't think anybody enjoys following a lawsuit. <laughs> Most of the times it's trying to rectify an unjust situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is what I think, if there's any message I can share with, you know, people who are not disabled, it's the fact that, you know, access is so much more than just compliance to the ADA. The, uh, access is something that we all should have a responsibility for. And access is something that we all have capacity in some way or another to give to one another. So whether it's, hey, uh, you know, if I say, oh, hey, Rochelle, like, do we talk later tonight instead of tomorrow morning? I had a bad day or I'm just tired. You just say, hey, yeah, no problem. Like, that's, that's a form of access, right? Like, this is, you know, it's not just these uh, public entities that have responsibility. Like, if we really truly care about our community, we can provide access to one another. And, you know, that to me is, is a form of love, you know. And I'm going to quote my friend, Mia Mikus, who gave a Cato address two years ago, where she said, access is love. And that to me, I think, is such a beautiful idea because it really is an act of love. It is an act of love that we can all give to one another. Do you have any last words about see the DVP as a celebration of the ADA and also a push to continue to better it into the present and future? Yeah. You know, I think as we think about 30 years 
with the idiot. There's so much to be. There's so much to be thankful for. There's so much to celebrate. Yeah, this is on the shoulders of the elders and generations who, you know, fought so hard. And, you know, countless people that we will just, we won't ever know their days, but they, they made this happen. They made this possible. And I'm really just looking forward to the future and thinking about it really big about what's possible. I really think that there's so much work to be done. The struggle continues. Uh, there's so much to critique and to be really mindful of, but there's also so much hope. And, uh, you know, I think with younger people, it just makes me so happy to see kids who are growing up that are growing up with a community ready and welcoming them. You know, that to me is just magical to be part of this older group who is welcoming the next generation and future generations. And I do. I just know things are going to get better. And, you know, things are better now. It's to be better. 30 years ago, but, you know, the, uh, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. And as our, fi as a final wrap up question, um, what do you think that 16 year old Alice would think of you and your work today? Oh my goodness. I think 16 year old Alice never thought she would live past 30, to be honest. You know, I was told when I was a young kid for a long time that my future was uncertain, you know, like, and growing up that way, I could not see myself as a 46-year-old person. So that's really heavy to think about the 60-year-old me not even having that image because it's really true, like, I didn't know what was possible, and I didn't even know I would still be alive, and that's part of the urgency, and part of the, the intensity I have toward making the most out of everything, because I appreciate every every second, every conversation, every relationship, every friendship, because I know these may not turn out this way. You know, these can go sideways easily. And so the 60-year-old Alice would be just, I think, just, her mind would be blown because I think I've lived, I'm living my wildest dream. I think I really am, you know. This is just, even six years ago, when I started at DVP, I had no idea what it would be today. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm just uh, so excited for what comes next.
and I'm ready for it. I am ready. This podcast is a production of the Disability Visibility Project, an online community dedicated to creating, sharing, and amplifying disability media and culture. All episodes and reading text transcripts are available at disabilityvisibilityproject.com slash podcast. You'll also find out more about Rochelle and me on my website. The audio producer for this episode is Geraldine Asu. Introduction by Latif McLeod. Thank you for the Motor Sports Camp. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Play. You can also support our podcast for a dollar a month or more by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dvp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash dvp. Thanks for listening. Just see you on the internet. Bye.